Today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast is brought to you by Legend Rings. Looking to create better team culture, more dedicated alumni, and reward your student-athletes with something they'll never forget? Visit LegendRings.com and stay tuned later in the show for a special offer that'll make this unforgettable team award more affordable than ever. And now, it's time for the show. That's right. It's time for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast with your host, North Carolina's ham radio operator of the year and America's recruiting guru, Dan Tudor. You are listening to the number one podcast in America devoted solely to college coaches and their recruiting needs, program development, how to be a better coach, how to be a better leader. This is it. I am Dan Tudor, and we are so glad that you're here for this episode. We are going to be talking about a topic that over the coming years is going to be one of the things that dominates your life as a college coach. And I am talking about NIL, name, image, likeness. And whether you are a D1 coach and you are at a BCS school, big time, big budgets, big attention, or you're at a small school, Division III, NAIA, uh, maybe a D2 in a non-revenue sport, NIL is going to be one of the things that you are going to be focused on, both from a recruiting standpoint as well as a college coaching standpoint, because it's going to be part of your daily life. And I'm not sure some coaches realize how impactful this is going to be to uh, athletic departments, coaching staffs, just the daily function of operating a team where your student athletes are now going to be able to profit from, potentially, their name, image, and likeness. And whether or not you agree with the uh, which side of the debate you uh, agree on, whether that's a right thing or a wrong thing, good timing, bad time to do it, whatever it is, irrelevant because it's moving forward and my focus with a lot of our clients that we work with and and those of you who listen to the podcast is to get you ready for that inevitable uh, new layer of your job. Now, it's not going to be your job to um, set up these deals and uh, and coordinate everything, but you are going to have to manage it and talk about it and uh, at least define it as it relates to your athletic department. And one of the, the things that is becoming more evident is there are many athletic departments, and some of them are large schools who are, uh, by all accounts, not prepared to take on this responsibility. And so what we wanted to do was take a deep dive into this. Since, again, it's going to be a recruiting topic for you in the future. It's going to be a program development topic, certainly something that your athletic department is beginning to focus on. And we wanted to talk to somebody who's done some investigating on the preparedness uh, of athletic departments around the country, especially the larger ones, with some surprising findings. Uh, Andy Witchery is a journalist. He publishes the Out of Bounds column, and I'm going to link to that in the show notes. It is well worth the follow if you are a college coach or athletic director. I highly recommend it. All of his stuff is great, and he's really becoming one of the voices of investigative journalism uh, when it comes to uh, college athletics, and so you need to follow him. And again, I will uh, link to that. You can follow him on Twitter at, as well, at Andy Wittry, W-I-T-T-R-Y. And what he recently published was an account of uh, how athletic departments were beginning to 
uh, manage or at least set up some guidelines for their athletes when it comes to name, image, and likeness. And of course, that involves a lot about social media and and publicity. And again, the question is, are athletic departments prepared for that? And if they aren't, what do they need to do to, do to get prepared? And what is going to be your responsibility to be aware of as you listen to this podcast of what you're going to need to be good at in the future in order to run uh, a competent program and be a part of a well-run athletic department when it comes to name, image, and likeness. So we're going to jump into this conversation I had, and it's a fascinating one with Andy Wittry. And we really start off with what he started doing with this uh, report and this article, which again, we'll link to that in the show notes. So go back to the show notes in this podcast and and read it because that's where you're going to get all the, the background information of what we're going to be talking about. But we just talked about um, what it was that he was trying to find out, what he found out, and the impact it's going to have on the future of college athletics and this name, image, and likeness uh, issue when it comes to the daily operation in athletic departments. The very first name, image, and likeness bill this year will take effect in July 1st in Florida, which is amazing because that's going to get here before you know it. You know, it's currently, it's mid-February. We're almost in the one-year kind of anniversary mark of when the coronavirus officially hit this country. And we're going to look up and it's going to be June, July. And then suddenly either the state laws will go into effect. There could be federal legislation that might be pushed through. The NCAA at some point, you know, they postponed their initial NIL kind of this uh, discussion proposal. And at some point they'll have to pick that back up. And it just seems like, you know, that's going to be here before you know it. And so my whole, you know, idea with this story, looking at how kind of current team social media policies and what their potential ramifications are on the NIL world in the future, which is once again, probably this year, is that there's still, there's a huge variance. And I think almost um, maybe not intentional, but maybe not the sense of urgency at each school or each program that schools have to have in terms of this is the new reality, potentially in, you know, three, four, five months. And it's looking at how some schools basically they either don't mention social media at all in their school kind of team policies, which is frankly, I was surprised at that. Um, even just kind of a cursory mention of, you know, hey, just you know, be smart um, after a loss, maybe have a brief kind of restraining period, be smart on the weekend, stuff like that. And then some schools, you know, one of the examples I used was Kansas women's volleyball, is that they went very much in depth with tips on how to build your brand, how to gain more followers, uh, how to be visual on their content. And so really the range, it seems like as this NIL, um, whether it's state, whether it's federal, whether it's just association-wide, is that it's going to be here before you know it. And schools and really the programs aren't on the same page consistently. And I think the ones that are more proactive and progressive, their athletes will be better suited in the future. You mentioned the article that you that you wrote, and we're going to link to it in the podcast uh, for people to be able to read it. But Maybe back up a second and give that broader scope of of what you wrote, because um, that's really what one of the articles uh, and uh, we're a fan of everything that you write, Andy. But that was one of the articles that really jumped out as taking a very original look at really the practical side of this. It's great to have the theory of NIL and what it might do for the athletes and this big picture sort of, you know, um, uh, you know, 30,000 foot view of, of the issue, but then it has to be implemented correctly. And it has to be actually, um, uh, it has to be something that is, is understood and managed at the local level at every single campus or else it goes off the rails. So 
give everybody who didn't read that article, and like I said, we'll link to it, but talk about what you you found and what the basis of the article was, because I think it was really insightful um, for, for the average college coach to read and understand. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, so essentially my thinking was assuming that at some point this year, maybe in the summer, maybe in the fall, maybe closer to you know New Year's of 2021, is that at some point we will have some sort of NIL bill in place. I would be shocked if we don't. And so my thinking was, as we approach that kind of decision date, that implementation date, are what are programs doing to prepare themselves, to prepare the coaches, to prepare the athletes for that date? And my thinking was, let's look at the current kind of, you know, 2020, 21 school year. And what are the team policies in effect? Because most, not every program, but most programs have a published, you know, a team rule book or a team, you know, policy manual. All the names are kind of different. Uh, They can be as short as one page. You know, it might be like four bullet points of like, you know, be a good teammate, be true to like, you know, kind of some platitudes mm-hmm. like that. Right. But then some might be 30, 40, 50 pages of in-depth stuff on uh, study halls, on uh, training, um, you know, make sure you're at the team bus on time for road trip, like all these different details. And so many of these rule books that have details on, you know, social media or phone use. And my thinking was like, let's look at what, you know, currently, if we assume that NIL goes in place at some point this year, and these rule books, you know, once again, are for this year, how do those two things either align or not align? So it's not necessarily you know, correlated because we don't have you know, name, image, and likeness rights available just yet. But if this is the last year before we have NIL, what are the policies preparing athletes and the programs for that future? And so I filed a series of FOIA requests, um, I think at almost every public Power 5 school. And so FOIA story, is just for people who aren't in the yeah, business. So it's, uh, it's a Freedom, freedom of information. information Act. So, you know, right. It varies by state, so it might be called an open records request in one state mm-hmm. or a public records request or, uh, you know, a right to know law kind of varies by state. So essentially just looking at, you know, these are public schools, um, technically, you know, they're public record. And so anyone, you know, not just a journalist or not just a reporter can say like, you know, hey, I'm John Doe, I would like to request, uh, you know, big state use football, you know, team policy manual for 2021. And so I acquired, I think it was over 50 that I used for the story. Um, I really I focused on a few different sports. Um, I did football, obviously, men's and women's basketball, uh, volleyball and beach volleyball, and I think gymnastics. So looking at, you know, ideally kind of the, the higher profile sports. Um, so obviously the revenue ones and also some of the ones that I've seen in terms of potential uh, earnings in the future through NIL is that it's been maybe volleyball players, it's been gymnasts, it's been women's basketball players, so looking at kind of the higher profile sports uh, for each gender and just seeing kind of what are the different you know, policies in place. And that's where just kind of the range in terms of schools that wouldn't mention it at all, which kind of surprised me. And then schools that they might go two pages deep in terms of like do's and don'ts. And then just seeing which programs, um, you know, some, it wasn't all cautionary, but it was also kind of uplifting. of Like, you know, we don't want you to be afraid of, like, we want you to post. Um, if you said, you know, make sure that you post regularly on social media, it actually based on the algorithm of Twitter and, and Instagram and stuff. It actually it helps your your traffic, your placement on the newsfeed. Uh, the more frequently you post, they kind of want to like have the athletes game the system. Um, so just seeing kind of the the tone, the tenor, the length, um, and then kind of like applying those current policies to the future is interesting because a lot of schools will say, you know, make sure to keep your profiles on private, uh, limit it to close f- uh, friends and family members. Um, you know, don't post that often. Um, Oregon State's football program said, don't joke with teammates on social media, which kind of surprised me. I I get it, but it kind of surprised me. So just seeing all these policies in place in which schools might actually be doing their uh, athletes an injustice moving forward and which ones are actually kind of helping helping their athletes 
um, you know, build their platform, learn the skills necessary, uh, just gain the confidence really of like, I can confidently post on Twitter and I can be myself and authentic and be funny, gain more followers. And that will ideally in the next you know year or two lead to sponsorships and, and revenue. Right. So you threw out a lot there and the article, like I said, we'll link to it and does sort of go in a lot of different directions. And it has a lot of interesting examples and outtakes and, and things like you said that surprised you. Overall, I mean, I we did a, a really big podcast episode on the NIL issue um, a couple of episodes ago that people can look up. But the what you just described, you have the NCAA and even athletic department institutionally who kind of their mantra has always been very tight control. We want to manage it. We And, and look, we would say benefit of the doubt is for the protection of the athlete. Uh, and that, so you have that on one side. And then you have this whole issue of now the athletes being able to make money in a unrestricted, uh, brawling atmosphere of social media. And the two have to coexist somehow. What is your early indication that colleges are actually going to be able to, to do that, to, to rein in enough of the, the you know, ways that could go off the rails but also give the freedom that, you know, like to your point, you know, an athlete can show his or her personality. They can joke with their teammates because I think at the heart of it, we're all human and we like to see human interaction. And um, it just seems like there are, this is conflicting already, like at, at the local campus level. Mm-hmm. And we've even heard of some high profile examples of schools and athletes that during the season, they have not been allowed to post on social media. And I think actually a few of those got reversed, you know, in the past 18 months, call it. Um, NIL comes through and that's now a policy. You're not going to be able to have a coach say that because the the athlete is going to say, well, Hey coach, you're actually now affecting my earnings. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, for me, uh, the very first section of my story, there was a quote that I used. It's from Sam Weber. He's the senior director of marketing for open doors. You know, it's an athlete marketing platform. We've seen, uh, open doors, we see an influencer. There's lots of these kind of like athlete right. companies that are on the forefront of once that flip is or the yeah, the switch is flipped for NIL, is it they'll be there like you know in a second to be like, all right, we're here to help the athletes, to help the coaches, just to kind of turn that that gear from like you know, fifth year to sixth year. And so he was saying basically that the programs and the coaches that are not uh progressive, that are not um allowing their athletes freedom on social media is that whatever the ultimate policy and rule looks like, there's a very good chance that the list of athletes that are making um, not just the most money, but I think really any amount of money at all, that'll be public. And there'll have to be some sort of you know regulation um, and reporting system, uh, maybe not like taxes, but some sort of like accounting of like checking, was this a real endorsement? Were they paid correctly? Did they then file their taxes based upon that? So all this stuff, it's yeah. going to be public in some venue. Maybe it's almost like, you know, not, not the transfer portal, but its own. Maybe it's the NIL portal. And you can see, uh, you know, quarterback seven just made this $50,000 deal, you know, and the SEC, I don't know. Whatever the system looks like, it's going to be public. And so he was saying, essentially, is that if you're at the bottom of that list, good luck recruiting, which I know it's going to sound scary for a lot of coaches, but if it's almost kind of the tone that they take, if they say, let's turn this into a positive and let's make sure that um, our creative services departments and our digital media team and our youngest assistant coaches are all ready for this. And we actually turn this to our advantage. There's going to be currently in like football recruiting, there's still a little parity. I think the stat I saw of the top 100 recruits for 2021 
I think 60 of the top 100 went to the same six schools. I think we can all guess those six. So like right now, there's actually, there's not like the greatest kind of, uh, not fraud, but the greatest kind of like lie in football is that there's parity. People are asking, oh, like why, you know, do we need to make the playoff bigger? It's like, no, there's always been the same, you know, it used to be Princeton and Yale and like Rutgers, you know, back in like the 1800s. Like it's, it's always been a very small handful of schools. And this is actually a chance that if you're, if you're a mid-level power five, or you're a top max school, what have you, if you embrace this and you're one of the best schools at propping up your athletes, giving them agency and social media, I think this is a chance to actually, you can outperform your, your historical standard, uh, you know, quote unquote, what you're supposed to recruit, like all that stuff. If you're on the cutting edge of saying, we're going to give these athletes the most freedom, the most rights, uh, the most administrative support and finding sponsors and finding, you know, what's your interest? What's, when you're not, you know, playing a sport or training, like what's your thing? And like, let's find a sponsor that can then match with that interest. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that, um, you know, going back to that quote from Sam Weber, it's just, that's going to be public and it's the schools that can then adjust and prepare and then, you know, adapt really. And I think that's where, you know, more creative minded, potentially younger or more tech savvy, you know, staffs and, and athletic departments, they might be better suited for that new future. And as you're describing that new landscape, and I agree with with almost everything that you said, what strikes me is that in the same way right now in recruiting that the new locker room or the recruiting center or um, the you know the you know the the slide in the the you know Clemson football offices that recruits get to slide down um, that now the other element that gets added to that is when you're on a recruiting visit, you're going to have a presentation probably within the next two to three to five years by everybody about here's our social media team. Here's how we're going to help you make the most money as an athlete by coming and competing for our school and our program. That's a given that, that, that becomes the whole focus now, because especially at the larger schools, the BCS schools, men's basketball, football, really, you know, all the sports um, are geared towards, here's what we're going to give you. Here's what you're going to get when you come here. Look at the locker room. Look at all the advantages. Look at the the media. <clears throat> so this is going to be now a component of that. And again, I'm wondering, are, are colleges prepared for what, there's going to be one or two or three that will start this avalanche, and they're going to come out with a media team. And when on your visit, they're going to sit down with you, and here's how we're going to make you a star and here's we're going to maximize uh, your, your NIL uh, potential here at our school. And then everybody else is going to have to rush to keep up with them. That seems like the future that, that I'm just describing is that do you see that as well, that it's going to really come down to now it's about the athlete and where he or she can make the most money in, in recruiting. Yeah. And I think so. And the last part, it's, um, you know, I don't know if we want to bottom line it as in terms of strictly just what's the biggest potential revenue number. Obviously, it's going to be a huge, a, a critical standpoint, but I think that might vary from, um, you know, from athlete to athlete. Because currently, not an apples to apples comparison, but in terms of, say, um, if you're on partial scholarship, you know, it's maybe looking at, do my parents have the money to fund the gap there? Do I need to personally take out student loans? Like, there's already some degree, not the same in terms of like profit, but in terms of looking at like, you know, what are my my personal expenses to go to school? So there's already a bit of kind of, I think, a, a shred 
of like a financial component in recruiting. And that's not going to be a much bigger standpoint. I don't know, you know, to what degree, because it's still, it's, it's playing time. You know, if you grew up in the local, the, the hometown of a big school and they're now recruiting you, does that kind of emotional nostalgia of like, oh, I grew up going to the games and I was four years old and now I could be one of those athletes playing? Like what, like there's still other components that will be part of that process. Sure. Yeah, and, and I think you mentioned the presentations. I don't know for sure, but my guess is that the, the ones in the forefront, there's two or three programs, whoever they are that you mentioned, my guess is they probably already are doing that to some degree. Now they probably can't say we have seven potential sponsors here today, but they could say, you know, we could go through your social media profile. Like right now, if there's any profanity, we could help you delete that. Um, if you're, you know, real, like, you know, legal name is not in your handle, we would recommend you do that. Cause that's going to help sponsors find you. Like I'm sure there's schools. Um, there's lots of schools that have signed deals with, you know, influencer was one that I mentioned one of these platforms and they already have kind of the infrastructure and uh, the third-party services and consultants kind of lined up and ready to go. So I think that to some degree, um, the the foundation, the building blocks are there, but it's just a matter of, you know, when that light switches from red to green is who's, you know, first off the block, who's the quickest to actually say, you know, we have kind of these theories, these ideas of how, how we want to help athletes find sponsors, but the first to actually kind of like act on that and have like kind of the proven track record of, you know, I think we'll see a lot of whenever that law is passed or whenever the, you know, the national bill is uh, implemented, mm-hmm. we'll see a lot of, I think, um, almost like when a company makes their first dollar, you know, they might, you know, frame that, put that in the wall of like, you know, so-and-so's first dollar. We might see a lot of tweets of like, you know, well, here's a football player's first endorsement deal. You know, he just made, I don't know, $5,000, whatever the case may be, is that we'll see, they might make that money from social media. And I think we'll see schools then prop up that revenue on their own social media, right? It's kind of like a cycle of once they make that, then they'll, you know, promote that saying like, hey, like come here, win games, and we're going to help you build your brands, um, you know, find sponsors who align with you. So no, I mean, to be a fly in the wall of one of those potential presentations of like seeing kind of like the nitty gritty. And I mentioned this in my story is that um, it may not be the head coach who's doing the actual kind of like sales plan, right? Like you're going to have someone either in uh, maybe a brand new department, but maybe, you know, it could be marketing, it could be creative services, but the head coach and assistant should still know what social media sites are popular or what's, what the marketing team will then tell the athlete. Coach, it's Dan. A quick break from the podcast. We'll get right back to it. But I wanted to ask you, have you been over to legendrings.com? That is the sponsor of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. We're so proud to partner with them. And we're excited because coaches are finding out that they can can give their student-athletes on their team high-quality, amazing-looking reward rings for a great season, individual performances, or something else that wants to get remembered about a particular uh, class or achievement. They're going to legendrings.com. And one of the coaches that went over there, uh, I talked to him and he said, one of the things he loves about this concept and what the website's able to do, along with the great prices, which are unbelievable, is the fact that he could design what the ring looked like. It wasn't something that he had to just take. There's not one ring that every coach gets, that type of thing. You're able to design exactly what the ring looks like exactly what you want on it the wording the type of stone everything and it comes at such an amazing price that he said he could afford to do this almost every year and not have it impact his budget so i want you to head over to legendrings.com take a look at what they have and if you mention the college recruiting weekly podcast they're going to give you as the coach something special with your order either a coach's ring 
for free your personal ring that goes along with everyone else's or a beautiful display case to uh, to display your ring. So head over to legendrings.com. They're the sponsor of the show. We are so proud to partner with them and we are excited about what we're able to offer through them to college coaches who want to make an impact with their current team and impress recruits with what they get when they come to the program and uh, devote their time, energy, and efforts into building uh, what you have going at your school. So legendrings.com, go over there, coach. Take a look if you haven't. Great stuff. And now back to the show. Because, you know, right now when I um, acquired all these different handbooks is that when they kind of define social media, a lot of them just, they frankly, they sounded outdated. And it's not, it was kind of like an easy joke for me of like, oh, like, you know, you mentioned uh, like Foursquare, you mentioned, you know, like Flickr, like, like actually, <laughs> even in the day may not have been super popular, um, but still in 2021, it's like, you know, is that really, does the average 17 year old think that Foursquare is currently like a popular social media site? Probably not. Um, and, you know, some mentioned like Vine, like Vine was maybe the most popular social media app, you know, in 2016, mm-hmm. but then it shuts down in 2017 and we still have schools citing Vine. It's like, no, that's you're five years to your four years too late. Right. Um, so it's kind of, it's almost just the, like the inherent knowledge of like, what's, can you talk in their language? Like, do you know, you know, don't say MySpace, say TikTok, you know, do you know like what's currently going on? Cause I don't know if that's going to, if that would uh, lose a recruit, but I think if you have a coach that's, you know, even in your thirties or forties, but isn't in that, you know, day to day, I'm on TikTok for five hours. You kind of have to know what's, what's that world like. So if you're going to, if that's part of the recruiting pitch, which it will be, it might currently be, is it, how can you relate to them, explain their potential endorsement deals, explain how to build a platform? Cause someone's going to have to do that. It may not have to be the head coach, but someone within the department, whether it's a coaching staff member, a GA, a student, like someone has to know how these things operate and then get from athlete to revenue. And so they kind of have to just know, can you speak their language? You know? And one of the things I thought was interesting in the article was you gave the example of the gymnast who based on sort of, you know, her followers and, and, you know, how it all sort of mapped out, she would actually be one of the the top earners in the country right now, based on, you know, again, what, if you're going through, you know, retweets and likes and follows and everything. Just if, again, can you tell that story real quick? Because I think that what it's what it says is that we're not just talking about a football, basketball only phenomenon with NIL. It's going to spread not only to other sports within an athletic department, but, um, well, and I'll get to my second. My second question is getting down to Division Two, II, Division Three, and what some of those opportunities are going to be. Um, but tell the story about the gymnast you know, that was in your article. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was actually, it's a really good study I would recommend reading. It's from Athletic Director of US site that I've worked for. They do a ton of great work and Navigate Research. And they partnered up, I think this is around this time last year. So maybe February, March, April. And the value that they had placed on um, in athletes earning potential was 80 cents per Instagram follower. And they had done studies that kind of, you know, almost reverse engineer what someone's earning potential is. So taking, you know, professional athletes or Olympians and saying, you know, they have these deals and they have this many followers, what's kind of like the average or what's kind of like the mean there. That's how they got to the 80 cents per follower. And they had chosen, I think it was 25 athletes, um, not necessarily the 25 highest earners, because that might be more skewed towards, you know, certain conferences or certain schools are kind of looking at holistically across the board in terms of different sports, uh, different athletes, different conferences and saying like, you know, what might a Washington softball player earn compared to uh, an LSU football player? 
And so I think, um, yeah, it was, I think her name was Madison Kosian and she was like fifth or sixth in the list, I want to say. And her earning potential from the study was like $466,000 per year. And that was ahead of, I think, Trevor Lawrence. That was ahead of Kasia Stanley, who was a former Duke five-star freshman. Uh, you know, she was up there with almost anyone, you know, not names like Joe Burrow. Like she was at the very top. And uh, she had a teammate that was like maybe halfway down the list. So like 13th or 14th of the 25. Um, Sabrina Ionescu, you know, she was down there too. And it was funny because, you know, part of my reporting is that um, when California Senate Bill 206, the Fair Play to, uh, Fair Pay to Play Act, when that was going into effect and being signed, the conference had some sort of like talking points to push back. And one of them, one of the four kind of main pillars was saying that doing so is going to hurt female athletes. And mm -hmm. then seeing in the study from uh, ADU and Navigate Research was that once again, this is kind of a broad sampling, but seven of the 25 athletes they had chosen were female athletes in the Pac-12. And their, you know, the projected earnings were like anywhere from say 150 to almost half a million dollars per year. And so it was kind of direct, I mean, not, they haven't made those sales yet, but it was kind of right. like direct proof of saying like, no, 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 like this actually of anyone, female athletes might have the most to gain, truly. Mm -hmm. And I think that we saw that in my story and some of the rules and policies of some of the most um, allowing freedom of expression and the most progressive and the most supportive policies for social media were oftentimes, you know, women's sports programs. They were volleyball or they were softball or women's basketball. So it's not just we have, we've kind of the proof of this is your projected earning potential. We have the like the written policies and those kind of back up. Well, here's why a UCLA gymnast could earn 400 grand in a year. Here's why, you know, so-and-so could earn this money. Um, and I think too, especially for sports, you know, if we say, okay, football is most popular than men's basketball. Some of these sports might have, uh, let's say lower, you know, average audiences or lower kind of peak audiences. But I still think that um, even if they're a little bit niche, is it there's still such a rabid fan base for uh, Big Ten volleyball or for wrestling or some of these things that they might have lower scale, but those who love it truly love it. And so that's where if you have that audience commit, like rather than saying, I'm going to fight for, you know, a half of 1% stake in college football. Like if you're, you know, a pretty good quarterback, power five school, like you're fighting in so many other programs and even like your own teammates within the conference. But if you're a standout, uh, you know, if you play volleyball for Penn State, mm -hmm. like you might own that, not just the market, but like nationally, if you're like one of the, the figures, the face of the sport, that might actually be better for your own personal branding and marketing. If you're like, if you own, you know, a 50% stake of a smaller thing versus saying, I want a 10% stake of a bigger pool, like, right, having the bigger, more concentrated market. Yeah. So just seeing that there's some... Yeah, UCLA gymnasts and Washington softball players and Oregon women's basketball players, they have as much to gain as I think almost anyone. And let's go now a level down um, because you're talking about maybe non-revenue sports at a Division I school. And I think it's going to be interesting to see what plays out, out at the medium-sized Division II at a Division Three, because what I could see happening is a Division Three coach – going to their, let's just say, Division III, um, uh, you know, baseball. And, you know, so their budget is tight, not a lot of money to spend. And they go to one of their boosters who has the car dealership in town mm -hmm. and says, hey, you know, can you help out our athletes? We want to, you know, can you put them on a billboard and give them $1,000 each? That's not the same as the Division One gymnast or Trevor Lawrence, but 
But that Division three athlete, what I think is going to happen with NIL is that it's going to become a culture of what are you going to give me, coach? Because the other school is going to give me X. So they have these resources to help me build my brand. And the smaller schools are going to have to try to answer somehow, at least to compete with each other. And so because um, what you see a lot of times is the Division three athlete wants the same things as the D1 in recruiting, and they just can't get them, and but they want them. And so the school that's going to say, look, you're not going to get $400,000 a year, but if you come here, um, you know, we're going to, you know, we have this sponsor, our whole team appears on three billboards around town for, you know, this particular Chevy dealership, and you're going to be on there and you get $1,000 for your image and likeness. That might, so the other question then to the other school is, okay, so they're giving me $1,000 for my name, image, and likeness for me. What are you going to give me? And you start this smaller war, but you still have the battle going on between, between um, smaller schools. And I think at the, at the, at the core of it, athletes want what they see other athletes getting. And so if you give me that, it recognizes that I have some value. You know, my name, image, and likeness has value here at this school, not at this school. And I think it becomes this now integrated part of the recruiting conversation that's going to be really interesting to see how schools at different levels, um, you know, adopt all that. To themselves but anyway i just want your thoughts on that like do you see it going down to these other you know other division levels and other non-revenue sports yeah i think so it's a great point Dan, because i think that a lot of this discussion i think in the future once whatever this you know the bill or federal legislation is passed is that i think a lot of the discussion will kind of circle around three and four figure deals i know it's going to make headlines and say oh so and so made us a, a five figure six figure uh annual revenue but i think kind of at the heart the kind of the fat part of the bell curve is going to be these three and four figure, like, yeah, a thousand bucks or 500 bucks here. Cause even I think going back to D one for a moment, I think that even for D one athletes, um, not the stars, but say just a productive starter, you know, maybe your, your fourth leading score on a men's basketball team or what have you, is it a thousand bucks for them even playing on, you know, big Monday or whatever that would go a long way of just saying, Hey, an extra grand for, you know, eating out or for rents or for, you know, send some money back home for mom, like that would go a long way for them. So as we scale down, yeah, I do think that, you know, your example of the billboard, you know, saying, okay, you're, um, you're off the highway for a month and a half. We're going to pay you, you know, a grand or 1500 bucks like that. That's a real, it's an, a huge deal, right. To be, right. and not just obviously the revenue, but still kind of the, the sense of achievement or the sense of branding of like, like everyone saw my face. They know that I play for X school. Um, they might now tune in or come to a game, you know, once we're all allowed to in ways that they wouldn't say now they saw, you know, me number 21, I'm on this billboard. They might look up my stats or look up the team's record. Like that's, that's going to go a long way in terms of just like, like I earned this, like I earned, you know, a nice paycheck. Right. I earned kind of this, this platform. Um, Cause I really do think that sure there's me, the high end earners, there'll be some athletes that just frankly, either uh, don't have interest or don't have kind of the branding uh, market for themselves. But I think kind of for the, the vast majority it's going to be those, hey, can I find a way to get an extra five grand a year or an extra two grand? That's all. It's almost like a second, like, you know, cost of living stipend, right? That's yeah. all it is. It's just, it's the day-to-day, -day, like, can well, I pay my phone bill? Yeah. Um, and I also think it's just, it goes to what, I mean, we do all this research and get these focus group studies on athletes and how they make their recruiting decision. And I think if you read through them at the core, a lot of the stuff that we see is they want to be recognized and valued and and because they put in all this hard work and even if they go to, 
you know, they wanted to go to Division One, get the full ride. They don't get that. They go D2 or D3, and they're paying for school. They still want the satisfaction of saying, somebody's recognizing me for all the hard work that I did. And that's where it's going to be interesting to see how coaches and programs at those other schools um, kind of, you know, recognize that or what do they say? I, my own personal take is that right now coaches at – the vast majority of schools, D1 and otherwise, aren't really paying attention to what they're going to have to do as coaches with NIL. They're, they see it as a big concept and, hey, that's good. The kids can make some money. I don't think they're realizing what they're going to have to put into it, what the department is going to have to devote to um, providing these resources for for these kids to keep up with the competitors who who are understanding it. And there are a couple, and but I don't think the majority do. What's your take? Yeah, no, it's funny because I think that, you know, in college football, for example, we'll hear about kind of the CEO head coach of, you know, maybe not a great X's and O's guy or didn't even play football himself, but kind of just knows how to run the organization, right? And I think that in the future of NIL is that you don't have to be um, the X's and O's equivalent for social media. You don't have to be uh, a 40-year-old influencer, right? But if you can allocate those responsibilities to someone else and say, hey, we're going to hire a brand new three-person staff and they're going to run you know, we'll call it like brand engagement or we'll call it like, you know, potential sponsors or something. And they'll be the ones to kind of, um, they'll do audits on our players' social media and they'll look for potential sponsors. Like the head coach himself or herself may not have to do, if they if they can, that's great. If they can go into the living room and say, hey, um, you know, me personally, I'm working on building my own brand so I can relate to what you guys are trying to do. I'm here to support you. It's going to help us in recruiting. Like we're all for it. Right. But if you're not that hands-on, just have someone else just have the awareness and the insight to say, hey, like I may not have those skills or, or insights, but let's go out and hire someone who does. Right. And I think that might be half the battle of like, you personally may not have to add extra work. Just have that mindset of like, this is the future. This could benefit us if we approach it the, like, the right way correctly. And let's have someone else in creative services or marketing. They can tackle it for us. And let's just make sure we have those people in place to kind of be the bridge between the head coach and the athlete. Yeah. And again, I think at the BCS level, you're right on that that's going to have to be, you know, it's going to be another sort of, uh, uh, you know, part of the flow chart underneath the head coach that they have to manage or be aware of. Uh, so that's four to 5% of colleges out there that would sort of be under that, mm. that, uh, you know, that heading. The other 95%, it is going to be the head coach that's going to have to get good at social media or understand it or know how to talk about it at least. And, go to the AD and say, hey, we need to offer some services for these athletes. Because again, if this is going to happen, and I know oh, it is going to happen, but when it happens, I just think the ripple effects are way bigger than what most coaches, most athletic departments are anticipating as it gets down to actually putting it into, into practice. So uh, let me wrap up, Andy, with, with this question. From big picture view, five years from now, what does NIL look like within the college level at, at all levels, where, where do you think we're at? What, what, what actually gets put into place? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I would expect I, let's say by like September of this year, that we'll have some sort of national or federal, whether it's uh, like an actual federal bill or it's just an association wide policy that finally the NCAA stops dragging its heels and they see all the state laws going into effect and they have to say like, let's like, we push this down the road so far, we have to have this in place. So I think honestly, within call it eight, nine months, I think we'll have something real tangible where athletes can actually put pen to paper and make money. And I think in five years, I think we'll almost laugh and look back and say, everyone made such a big deal about this, about it's going to be the end of 
amateurism is going to be the end of uh, women's sports, all this stuff that's not going to be true. I think it's going to be so kind of second nature if we're just used to it. It'll be almost like recruiting in the ways that fans will kind of scour the list. You know, once again, assuming that the, the earnings are public, fans will scour and say, hey, well, how did their quarterback make more money than our quarterback? Or they're going to point and try to find something illegal that's whatever the regulations that are in place, they'll find something that looks like, oh, like that's out of place with, you know, with what's allowed. But I think it's going to be so, it's going to be a kind of a course correction of athletes for so long haven't had the full, the agency, the full rights that they deserve. And I think once again, we're talking for most of these athletes, I think truly like three and four figures. Maybe those might add up to five figures for more than we realize. But I think more athletes will have marketability. Um, we often hear like, oh, it's only 1% or it's, you know, maybe 2%. I think the number is higher than that, but it's not like they're all earning 50 grand a year. You know, if the average income is like five grand or it's like three and a half grand, that's probably more realistic. And I think honestly, once again, that's all that that's all the athletes really want or deserve. It's just, can I pay for maybe a new car? Can I pay for rent? Can mom have a nice Christmas present in December? And, you know, so I think it's just, it's going to get to the point where it's, um, it's kind of second nature, frankly, of just the school's, I think early, especially we'll see schools at, at all levels that are on the cutting edge in the forefront and truly grasp these concepts and understand social media is that they will receive a recruiting boost. That's why this should be kind of a, a benefit. This shouldn't be like all doom and gloom, like, oh, this is the end of, uh, you know, athletes have become too, par- too powerful and athletic departments are going to lose all these contributions because now donors will want to endorse athletes. Like, I don't think that seems too negative. Like, those that see this as a positive and say, Hey, we're going to help our athletes. Like coaches, I use this in my story. Coaches can have incentive structures that say you beat this rival, you get this bonus, you win conference championship. You get like, there's all these different, you know, that may be more D one or more, you know, football than other sports, but those still exist. And so if coaches can, um, and maybe even ADs can benefit from wins in the biggest games, then athletes should have the chance to then also market themselves for the biggest games. Um, and I think it's to be part of kind of the game day culture of, you know, our starting point guard, quarterback, uh, midfielder, whoever, they post a sponsored Instagram post at 9 a.m. They maybe got 500 bucks or 5,000 bucks for it. They play the game. The game still happens. There's a winner and a loser. Like, it's not going to, you know, rip apart college athletics. Um, so I think it's truly, we'll look back and say, hey, like we, people kind of, you know, dug their heels in and fought too hard for something that ultimately uh, benefited athletes and probably didn't hurt too many other people.